Chapter number seven of the story of a modern woman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Naomi Brewster, Melbourne, Australia. The story of a modern woman by Ella Hepworth Dixon. Chapter seven. A kettle drum at Lady Jane's lady jane ives was always to be found in portman square at five but to-day she had sent out cards so that an hour later the lofty gaunt rooms with their faded crimson carpets their flowery chintzes and their many mirrors were dotted with little groups lady jane disliked new fashions in her house and the general effect in an over-luxurious age was somewhat cheerless the stiff hard gardens on the walls in which tin gondoliers were propelling iron gondolas on a leaden lagoon with a background of grey zinc palaces was but faintly visible by the tentative light of the circle of candles in the quivering lustre chandelier between the starched laced curtains stood monster chinese vases swollen like vases seen in an uneasy dream the bull cabinets had chilly marble tops the rosewood tables held vast photograph albums lady jane had arranged the rooms on her marriage some forty years ago and it had not occurred to her to change them parliament had just opened so that people were back in town here and there a man's black coat was visible there was a subdued murmur of talk people were slipping out quietly under the cover of someone else's arrival dropping the perfunctory smile which they had exhibited for ten minutes under the lustre chandelier as they made their way quickly out into the portico where a small army of grooms with faces as drab and unemotional as their overcoats hung about the steps i have just come from the ambassador of all the rushes drawled a pretty woman to lady jane as she stood in the swaggering attitude which she affected on entering a drawing-room just at the door my dear you shouldn't encourage those barbarians declared her hostess it's so shockingly radical to approve of foreign tyrannies alison assisted by mary was pouring out tea in the gaunt back drawing-room it was noticeable that most of the men had collected around the table i won't have my friends feed at a sort of sublimated coffee stall in the dining-room announced lady jane it's a young woman's mission to make tea for her friends alison remember lady blaythwaite doesn't like sugar vous versi le tea avec un grasse parfaite sighed a sentimental attache of vague slav nationality who was famous for turning compliments out of the most unlikely materials and mary earl in her black clothes sat on one side and looked at the little comedy with impartial eyes it seemed so long since she had been in society she supposed she was out of touch with the world vanity fair since she had left it for so many months seemed curiously foolish close to her the pretty woman who stood sipping her tea amid an admiring circle of black coats had already got on one of her favourite topics i don't mean to be done out of monte carlo this year 
she announced in a penetrating voice and with the air of one who is accustomed to have her least brilliant observations received with attention so i've told sir horace he can have as many shooting parties as he likes but i'm off on the thirty-first the eyes of the complimentary slav waxed brilliant as he gazed admiringly at lady blaythwaite oh very well objected a perfectly dressed and perfectly self-satisfied young man who gave the casual spectator the impression from the parting of his beautifully cared-for hair to the pointed toes of his shiny boots he was elaborately exquisitely new and clean all very well for ladies he said deliberately but how on earth is a feller to go away in december if he wants to get any huntin what why the duchess said the other night when i told her i wasn't goin but to make room for two new arrivals the exquisitely clean young man was obliged to step into the background and the rest of his story was lost to everyone but the pretty woman after these two had thrashed out the engrossing subject of monte carlo the word plumpton was bandied about and afterwards the name of the latest three-act farce the exquisitely clean young man it appeared was a great theatre-goer in fact he admitted he went so often that it was impossible to recollect the name of the house the play or the actors i don't remember the name of the pieces don't you know he confided but we saw it the night before last at the criterion i think it must have been the criterion because we dined at the restaurant first and the fella i liked awfully don't you know was the one who played the fella who kicks out the johnny in the third act awfully good what oh yes awfully good wasn't he and we all thought him a dear said the pretty woman in a bored tone she had had enough of what she called intellectual conversation what have you done with that charming mr hemming my dear demanded lady jane in a stage whisper descending on mary and leading her out of her corner by the arm and not waiting for the answer she went on you've sent him off to india you naughty child and he may die of cholera or heat apoplexy and then you'll be sorry poor fellow he looked so terribly cut up he came to see me just before he went his father was an old flame of mine but the men were more enterprising when i was young they didn't take no for an answer but my dear lady jane whispered mary i didn't give no for an answer all this was said while a lady with sloping shoulders and dyed black hair was performing a rather deliberate solo on the harp but her hostess whose eyes were turned towards the door did not apparently grasp the import of mary's words lady jane was very fond of professor earle's daughter the professor had always been one of the familiar faces at her sunday dinners but she was a somewhat indifferent listener and just now she had not only to thank the fair harpist but a new arrival was claiming her attention ah there's my dear doctor exclaimed lady jane with much vivacity how good of you she said with more enthusiasm than she had yet exhibited to find time to come and see an old woman the man addressed was a striking figure enough he had moreover that imposing air which endears itself to feminine imagination dr dunlop strange was a favourite with women in society 
his speciality was nervous disease he had done a great deal of useful work had made one important discovery which had brought him prominently before the public and was understood to be about to receive a baronetcy mary remembered his face she had met him out often in the old days at soirees at learned societies at the dinner-tables of the celebrated or the merely smart he was a man of forty-five a little under the medium size and a perpetual upright pucker just between his eyes those eyes the girl noticed spoiled his face they were small and somewhat shifty but as he usually wore a pince-nez this peculiarity was not noticeable he looked tired but not at all bored the doctor was understood to be devoted to alison and for once alison seemed pleased though she was good-looking and moved in a somewhat go-ahead set she had never been known to have an ordinary flirtation she used to say that she supposed she should have to marry some day the later the better because it was absurd to suppose that old maids had any influence on people's lives and power to put it plainly was what the modern woman craved she supposed in that respect that she wasn't any better than the rest of her sex lady jane was delighted asked the doctor constantly to dinner and insisted on his assisting at one of her happy afternoons for pauper lunatics and dr strange went as indeed he would have gone anywhere just now to meet alison by the by she said giving him a cup of tea and pretending not to notice that his eyes were devouring every detail of her handsome personality i want you particularly to know mary earl professor earl's daughter of course you've met her but i want you to know her she's one of my few friends alison seemed in high spirits since dr dunlop strange's arrival here's mr bosanquet barry she whispered as a beautiful young man with palmer violets in his coat appeared in the doorway one of mother's young friends he's the new editor of the comet the editor repeated mary incredulously emerging from a conversation with dr strange which she had carried on with difficulty seeing that his eyes were fixed on alison at the time the editor of the comet why he looks a mere boy my dear he's seven and twenty besides that's a new idea in journalism you pluck your editor nice and hot from oxford someone who has none of the old hackneyed fleet street ideas this one observed mary thoughtfully doesn't look as if he has any ideas at all oh but then he's devoted to the primrose league and mother he goes to her happy afternoons i hear that all the smart set are in love with him if that's any recommendation mary you must be introduced you have to know these people if you're going to be an artist on closer inspection mr bosanquet barry turned out to have a somewhat spurious air of youth the effect of extreme juvenility was produced by his fair skin his dazzling white teeth and his piercingly blue eyes he entertained mary as he got her a cup of tea with a spirited account of a visit to a minor music hall which he and a pale-faced boy with tired eyelids and an exaggerated buttonhole had arranged the night before for lady blaythwaite 
it all went all right said mr bosanquet barry confidentially until the last lady blaythwaite swore she'd never enjoy anything so much in her life can't say i did as i had to talk to the girl she brought with her who was ugly as sin however i had to leave em a minute at the door to see after the carriage and then some beastly cad spoke to her how very unpleasant said mary who felt she was expected to sympathise with this lady's adventures in a london music-hall oh chuckled mr bosanquet barry with a laugh which was not quite pretty i don't believe she minded i shouldn't wonder if she rather liked it at any rate she shouldn't wear such outrageous clothes i wonder sir horace oh sir horace doesn't care interrupted the pale-faced boy whose name it appeared was beaufort flower though he was usually briefly addressed as beaufy sir horace doesn't care he don't pay for him you know and with a display of all his white teeth at once the editor of the comet who with all his boyishness had picked up the editor's air of not meaning to allow any one to detain him bowed abruptly and was now seen pressing the hands of several ladies of quality as he stared his way towards the door he is an odious youth said alison calmly i'm not responsible you know for all mother's boys sometimes he comes and stops for hours they talk scandal all the time and heaven preserve us the scandals of the fifties about women who are grandmothers or in their graves don't you think it a depraved taste dr strange continued the girl perhaps he answered with a smile he's going to write a book of reminiscences you begin collecting at about twenty and you keep your scandal well corked and in a dry place till you're about eighty then you publish with additions <laughs> i dare say laughed alison that scandal doesn't keep any better than other things a little venom has to be added scandal put in the pretty woman emerging suddenly from a flirtation with the sentimental slav is only interesting about one's contemporaries dear me what an interesting woman lady blaythwaite must be whispered mr beaufort flower into the air of a solemn man with a heavy jaw who was well connected and who was understood to write essays in addisonian english ah ejaculated the solemn man with a thoughtful glance at the pretty woman my only objection to a moral people chattered the other gazing at her with wary half-closed eyes is that they're generally so shockingly censorious no one else's conduct i suppose rejoined the solemn man deliberately comes up to their high ethical standard my heavens exclaimed the pretty woman who had heard part of the answer they've begun to talk of ethical standards i mustn't keep the roans any longer good-bye all you people good-bye and sweeping away among her rustling silk petticoats a complimentary slav lady blaythwaite's tiny head and wide shoulders were seen descending the staircase there was a pause most of the people were leaving from the open hall door came a click of closing carriage doors and home pronounced in the official voice of the unemotional grooms and the sound of departing wheels dr dunlop strange was bending towards alison talking earnestly 
charmin room said mr bofy flower vaguely terrified to find himself alone with mary whom he took for his especial aversion a debutante his eye ran around the bare walls the fluted steel fenders the marble mantelpieces topped by their huge mirrors so nice and old-fashioned aren't they should you say early victorian now or late william the fourth but the favourite modern amusement of whispering malicious things of one's host or hostess behind their backs had never appealed to her and much to his surprise the fair girl in mourning evinced no further desire for his society but with one of those little manoeuvres which only women of the world know how to execute without offence she had joined alison and the doctor good gracious he said to himself as he tripped downstairs to his brougham how pert i don't believe she was a debutante after all End of chapter seven